Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. I have had ideas around what devotionals related to the body could look like. I have played with writing some of my own. I believe that learning how to be more deeply connected to our bodies is important and needed since most of our modern society leaves us feeling detached and left in postures that hurt. When we add in the messaging from church cultures like those who preach purity and put us at odds with our body, A devotional that teaches us about the joy and divinity of our body is a blessed gift. I happen to have stumbled upon a book called Sex with God, Meditations on the Sacred Nature of Sex in a Post-Purity Culture World. Suzanne DeWitt Hall, she, her, hers, is the author of Where True Love is Devotionals, the Living in Hope series which supports the family and friends of transgender people the Path of Unlearning Faith Deconstruction Books, and The Rumple Pimple Adventures. She has a new novel, The Language of Bodies, and she is mildly obsessed with vintage cookbooks and the intersection of sexuality and theology. Suzanne, it's my absolute pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. When I stumbled upon your books, when I was just kind of doing an Amazon search one day, (laughs) I really was just like, what? There's other people like this out there. (laughs) It's like so excited to see, you know, the two books, especially um, your theology of desire and uh, sex with God. And so my I was curious if you can speak to what made you write those books. Absolutely. Um, Initially, I was thinking that they were going to be one book Mm -hmm. uh, because the content is so interconnected. Yeah. Um, But as I was developing it, I realized that um, it makes more, it made more sense to separate them. Mm-hmm. Um, the theology of, so I'm going to tell you a little bit or tell your listeners a little bit about what the books are. And then I can tell you, tell them kind of where they came from. Mm-hmm. So a theology of desire explores the idea of our hungers, our internal spiritual, emotional hungers, um, and how, how we want to reach for something larger, for, for God, for something more, for meaning, for, for all these things that are deep hungers in our hearts and our souls, um, and how that desire reflects God's, the divine's desire for us. And there's this mutual longing, mm-hmm. um, this sort of dance of, of, um, of longing for, for unification, for, for oneness. Um, so that's theology of desire and sex with God is an attempt to look at sexuality from a post purity culture perspective. And, and so that sort of engages with, with this idea of our hungers, um, and, and the desires hunger for us, but also engages with sort of the practical matters of sex. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So now I'm going to jump to, to where they came from, and that'll unfold more about the books themselves. So a little over a decade ago, I was unhappily married in a very dysfunctional marriage to my high school sweetheart. And I'm, I'm close to 60 now. So um, we were married for multiple decades and had several children. And um, neither of us was very happy throughout, throughout that marriage. And towards the end, when I was in my 40s, I kind of plunged into church. I had been um, satisfying my emotional and spiritual unhappiness and my marital unhappiness through extramarital affairs Hmm. um, on and off throughout the relationship. And I had equated uh, the, the, the methodology for getting, for achieving intimacy um, had always been uh, through sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, it was always with men. And so I, I realized I didn't want to be doing this anymore. Um, and I went through this. So, so I stopped having extramarital affairs as a coping mechanism for my unhappiness. And I didn't replace it with anything. And so I went through a short period where I was drinking a lot. I would drink mm-hmm. like literally a couple of wine, uh, bottles of wine a night because I was like, okay, I'm not going to engage in this disruptive, destructive behavior, but, but here I am still with all this mess. And so then I kind of, sh- I, I ended up starting to go to um, church because my daughter was involved in a youth group and I needed to check it out and make sure it was like a safe space for her because it was an, it was very alien uh, form of church to me very evangelical. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't something that I was familiar with. And so I thought, are, you know, are these people crazy? You know, it's that they have a big sign next to the highway that said, Jesus loves you. And I'm like, what, what the heck is that? Um, so mm-hmm. um, I, I went to the, that church to, to make sure it was an okay place for her. And I basically didn't stop going to church. Um, so in part of that time, I was trying to, I was exploring this these, this painfulness in my spirit and my recognition that uh, searching for filling it through sexuality was dysfunctional and was not working and was had so many problems with it. And that's what led to, uh, to I was writing, uh, capturing these thoughts and this search through a blog called a Theology of Desire. Mm-hmm. And I was reading the, um, you know, some of the mystics and, and capturing some thoughts from, you know, famous popular theologian C.S. Lewis and Peter Kreeft and at, at that time in that era. Um, and they would, they would touch on these ideas, although didn't tend to explore them specifically deeply. And so I, I started capturing those thoughts and my own, and, and it kind of developed into this, this concept. So, you know, fast forward a decade and my marriage exploded. I met the love of my life in this conservative patriarchal um, church. And at that time, they were living as uh, as a female trying to be a Proverbs 31 wife, just as I was, which which means, you know, being like the perfect, the perfect wife, um, you know, in a Christian biblical sense, um, with complementarian views, meaning that, you know, femininity was one thing and masculinity was another. Both of us have been kind of steeped in that stuff. And we somehow fell in love, hmm. which made no sense to either of us. Um, sure. And we, we, it, it 
had to kind of face that and explore it. And um, we're happily married now. My um, spouse is trans transgender, transmasculine. Mm-hmm. Um, so both of us have had this awakening and I've, I've realized that I'm asexual. Um, so we had this whole awakening and um, Declan, my husband was the first person to really read in depth my blog, A Theology of Desire, and knew that I needed to do something with it. Hmm. And so um, we, I, we wrote, I wrote some other devotionals that kind of are around our exploration of gender and sexuality in the context of Christianity. And then I wrote these two books. So Sex with God, um, it, what we were seeing is a lot of pain in the, in the world generally, and especially in the Christian community related to purity culture. Um, and it does unfold into culture more broadly, more widely than just Christianity. Mm-hmm. But there's so much shame. And in particular women who, um, you know, that we're, we're told that we're not, we're, we're, that, that sex is dirty and that we should be ashamed and that we're the cause of lustful thoughts in men and that it's our job to police that. And mm-hmm. we're supposed to repress everything until we're married. And then we're supposed to be able to engage um, sexually in a healthy way, supposedly, I guess, but, you know, so much is screwed up by then that it's nearly impossible. So there are all these books uh, and resources coming out that were sort of post-purity culture Christian views on sex. And for me, a lot of those went too far into the anything goes models um, where it didn't seem to be honoring, in many cases, it didn't seem to be honoring of others and of ourselves. And so I I thought we needed sort of a middle ground. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I've just spewed a bunch of words, but that's where those two books came from. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I think you just kind of showcased a little bit of just the layers, right? The layers that so many people hold and um, carry with them. You know, like we're also taught, um, I think as Christians, that once we get married, like you hit the jackpot, like that's it, like this is the greatest and everything's going to be perfect. And we're really not given the tools to know that you know, it's not always going to be perfect that relationships take work, that we change as humans, that our sexuality is complicated. Um, We're not taught how to talk about it, how to express our needs and wants. Most of us don't know what our needs and wants are, you know? And so then I think that so many people get disillusioned onto like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And then we hold, like you said, we are kind of we foster and uh, I want to say cultivate a culture of shame around that instead of leaving room open for discussions, for support, for understanding. And I, I know so many people who, you know, are, are not knowing what to do with all those complicated emotions from you know, within their marriages and things like that, or just life in general. And so thank you for being vulnerable and sharing, because I also feel like, you know, there is this notion, I believe too, with God of this reciprocating and wanting to be intimate of sharing that. And I had talked before, and I gave a sermon one time about how 
as humans, we have all been embodied. We've all been a part of somebody's body because we we came from the womb and lived in a body and how intimate that is, you know, Mm -hmm. and the fact that Jesus too then gives us communion that is a form of embodiment and that we're always searching for a way to be embodied with others. And, you know, some of that is through sexual intimacy. And I also feel like that is where God, you know, tries to meet us and have that form of intimacy with us. And so I thought it was really the way that you had put that before within how you were writing the theology of desire and coming up with those understandings for yourself, like were really, you know, poignant and things. Well, I, I'm glad that it struck you that way. And, I, you know, I'm not sure what your, um, your training and faith formation was, but I think that I was particularly drawn. One of the reasons that I was drawn into sort of a, a Catholic, Roman Catholic leaning theology at the time um, especially was how much embodiment is actually there. And you mentioned um, communion, um, you know, in, in Catholic terms, it's a Eucharist and, and there is so much for me, it was, it was almost, it, it bordered on the sexual and that sounds really um, extreme and, and kind of kinky. And it, it wasn't, well, like I said, I'm ace. So my whole relationship with sex is weird, but you know, there's this thing where there, this, that the person of the, you know, the Catholic view is that the priest stands in the person of Christ. So mm-hmm. at that moment, they are acting as, as Christ, as God. And, you know, there's all kinds of problematic potential things that can happen, happen with that, but I'll just step aside from that for right now. Mm-hmm. So here I was, you know, that here is God presenting you with this thing that you take into your mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there is this level of intimacy, yeah. um, which for me was, rather stunning mm-hmm. and um and powerful and something i forgot to mention when i was talking about a theology of desire is that i think that it is an antidote to to lonely it was for me an antidote to loneliness that i and i think that it can be a useful book for people who for example don't have a partner but who have these longings you know and mm-hmm. that you can to some degree there can be a form of solace. It doesn't replace the physical intimacy that people are so strongly wanting or, or even the relational intimacy. It doesn't replace that, but Mm -hmm. it, it provides a way of exploring um, how this divine power can help soothe that ache Mm -hmm. um, in a more tangible way. Um, Mm -hmm. Just like as I was envisioning this, this Eucharist, this, this feeding uh, was a kind of intimacy that I found surprised and satisfying and yet also left me hungering. <laughs> right. So. Well, well, I think sometimes when we experience a level of intimacy that comes almost like off guard or on a, and like in a way we didn't expect, we then realize quickly how much it's been missing in our lives. Mm. Right. And then just how much we need that even more right <laughs> things that makes sense and I think you know often those of us or many who need and crave intimacy which I feel is like most humans we're also afraid of it right because it's a sense of vulnerability and letting our guard down and that's like can be so scary for yeah. for us 
Would you be willing to, for those who don't understand what asexuality is, would you be able to talk briefly about that? Sure. So the best um, metaphor that I have heard is that uh, is related to donuts. So there's a donuts. So say there's a a big platter of donuts on the table in front of you and there's Mm -hmm. all different kinds. There's chocolate frosted, there's jam filled, there's everything. Mm -hmm. Some people look at that plate of donuts and say, wow, I want all those donuts. I want every kind of donut and I want a lot of them. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's some people who say, Ooh, I'll that chocolate frosted donut is the only donut for me, but I really, 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 really like it. And I want Mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. There's some people who walk up to the donuts and say, yuck, I don't want donuts. I've never liked donuts. I'm not interested in donuts. See you later. And then there's some people who are saying, eh, there's a platter of donuts. I'll eat one. Yeah, I enjoyed that donut. It was good. So asexuality is about the, the way people um, experience sexuality in general is how you experience sexual attraction. So asexuality is a spectrum of different uh, experiences of not having sexual attraction in kind of the ways that people typically imagine it. Mm -hmm. Some people don't want any donuts at all. They're kind of repulsed by donuts, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and and same with sex. Uh, Some people experience sexual attraction if they are emotionally or Mm -hmm. Um, intellectually connected to someone, but not, you know, the physical things are not part of their attraction. And some people um, enjoy sex while they're having it, but don't really feel much desire. Um, For me, I'm one of those that I enjoy donuts um, if I'm having a donut, but I'm not, you know, on the search for donuts and I'm not, you know, (laughs) so, so that's kind of my form of, Hmm. of um, asexuality. As the best I've been able to. <laughs> I have never, I've never heard the analogy with the donuts before, but that's really interesting. It's pretty <laughs> it's like a, great. I mean, yeah. it helps people understand. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you kind of talked a little bit about your partner and you and your partner created these uh, true love, where true love is devotionals. And you make it clear in your, in your books, you know, you dedicate them to your partner and things. And it's, you make it clear that they inspired you. So can you talk more about how they inspired you and what was, oh my gosh, I, I could talk endlessly about this subject. Um, you know, my my partner Declan is the greatest gift of my life. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we mutually saved each other's lives and it's been such a journey of exploration and transformation for both of us, as I mentioned. Declan was able to embrace the reality that he is trans, which mm-hmm. is something that he'd never been able to do throughout his life. And, you know, as we became more connected to the queer community um, and met more trans people and learned more about what trans transness was, more light bulbs went off and, you know, ding, 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 this is, this is who I am. And he was able to step into that. And me recognizing that I was asexual uh, through the, the same way. And when I was young, I just assumed that females didn't actually have sex drives. It was all, it's all, you know, a guy thing and that the girls just kind of went along with it. Hmm. And um, it really wasn't until relatively recently that I realized that women weren't pretending when they were saying like, oh man, look at that 
you know, I, I thought that that, <laughs> I thought that was just like some fake thing. Um, <laughs> and the, the fact that we've both gone down this path together and worked through those vulnerabilities, as you said, opening up to each other and being able to talk through these things and figure out what is, um, uh, what is real, what is threatening, what is not threatening, mostly within ourselves, because we are extremely safe in each other's hands and hearts. But that kind of vulnerability and like, oh my God, what, um, you know, because Declan has a pretty strong sex drive. And then, so what does it mean that I'm ace? And for him to have to figure that out and for me to have to figure that out and to work through the expectations and, you know, all of this. And for, for Declan to say, okay, well, we've been in this relationship where you thought I was female. What does that mean? Does that mean that you're not going to want me, love me, all those things? It's, it's, you know, drawn us increasingly closer and our communication is, is um, extremely good. And Declan does inspire me all the time because Declan keeps me focused on the fact that uh, we, that our work as part of this true love is movement, because I write the books and Declan does this online community building and, and sharing of love and encouragement and hope and resources um, through social media. You know, our goal is always to to just think about that there's one person out there that needs that message, that needs yeah. a bit of hope, that needs a bit of 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 love and life, light, um, moment by moment, day by day. So, yeah, he's he's my constant encouragement for for trying to just uh, keep being true to who we are, keep seeking who we are, and keep trying to shine light into this complex dark world. Right. <laughs> more light we can get the better <laughs> well I'm glad that you guys are you know are working together and offering that because there are so many I think too and especially I want to say in middle age who are kind of just coming to terms with being able to have the freedom to think about sexuality in a way that was never presented to them or felt like they were allowed to think about it in this different way and I think there's just so many people, especially within the Christian world that are just going through deconstruction on multiple levels. And, you know, that can feel really scary and it can also feel overwhelming, but like being able to know that there's different resources in the community out there that's going to provide support instead of like content, you know, we, we condemn so much, like in the Christian world, I just feel like there's it's often condemning instead of learning how to be curious and comforting. And certainly like there's different Christian sects, right. That are, that operate in a different way. And there's many Christian religions or denominations. Thank you. (laughs) My brain stopped for a second. Yeah, it happens. Who are very affirming and who are understand that God's love is massive and beyond really what we can understand. And I think that's so many of the reasons why we try to box God into this tiny little, you know, well, <laughs> yes, tiny little book, Thank a you. little book on your bedside table. Yes, that's perfect. That's exactly right. So when you're kind of learning, what have you learned the most about sexuality that has surprised you? Uh, I think one thing is that I, I'm, I was surprised. I'm not surprised anymore that my views could change so much mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot of 
certainty built into Chris, Christo think. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of black and whites and, you know, things are right or wrong. Things are black and white. And that the rules about sex were hard and fast, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so to find that my views could change so much and to find, to discover that black and white is a falsehood in the, um, even within Christian understanding, within the, the Bible itself, where supposedly Christians get their understanding of God, there is so much that is not black and white. There is so much weird squishiness between right and wrong, where the instructions of God um, go against the, the actions of God, and that these heroes of faith are often breaking all kinds of rules, and that, you know, that, that it, so much of like that the world is literally there are no blacks and whites if we look at any black and white printed thing in our house painted object every black is different every white is different there's different amounts of pigment um light itself outside you know all the the darkness is is rarely true darkness um so that and even you know the rainbow where we see pictures and flags of a representation of inclusiveness, we see these discrete lines of color. The in a real rainbow, there is it's a spectrum, and you can't identify where one color ends and the next begins. It's all so subtle and so shifting and so beautiful and so nuanced. So discovering that my view of sex could could transform from what it was, which was you know I could outline it for you and tell you very firmly why things should be the way I thought they should be that that would all shift. The other thing that has surprised me is that embracing the fact that I am asexual could lead me to having the best sex life of my life and could mm. be so beautiful and satisfying and intimate, you know, physically, emotionally, in every way. Um, that is a real surprise. And I think that that is something that allosexual people, meaning people who are not asexual, they have a, a more typical sex drive experience, whatever that means, that allosexual people understanding that and asexual people could be, could be helpful and freeing and that it requires a lot of communication, but that, you know, that asexual people can have very good sex lives. Mm -hmm. So surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it also speaks to just like when we know who we are and when we embrace that and when we take time to love ourselves and give our permission to to be who we really are without continuously masking who we are and when we're able to open that part up with another person who cares for that then you know that leads to a richer pleasurable experience and i think the hardest part is for us to learn how to completely accept ourselves or to know who we are because I think we continuously, I said that word wrong, continuously, <laughs> um, how do I say, you know, we're constantly, we constantly put ourselves under a microscope, right? Of like, does this, does this meet the standard? Will people still accept me? This is what I've told I need to be like. So I guess I will do that. You know what I mean? Like, I know that that is a lot of people's inner dialogue. And I often think like, what if we gave people permission to live within the curiosity of wonder that I think all of us naturally have that 
I think sometimes is taken away from us based on cultural scripts and things like that of systems and things. But like, what if we embraced the largeness of God and I think the love that God has to offer and the curiosity and wonder, like where would our world be? I think it would be a very different place. (laughs) I know. Yeah. It's a much more wonder filled. Um, Mm -hmm. You just said so many important things there. And, you know, one of them was the freedom to be with someone. You mentioned um, that vulnerability when you're with someone. And that's, you know, I, I touch on that in sex with God, because I think that sometimes we are too, because we have these conflict, conflicting demands to be both pure. It's the Mary, Mary versus whore thing, right? Women are, are supposed right. to be this virginal, but they're also supposed to be like a wildcat in bed or whatever. Um, we sometimes are, are giving ourselves away too easily. I can't speak for like a masculine experience. I can only speak to my experience, which I view as, as feminine. Um, and I know a lot of women are willing to give ourselves away as a way to seek intimacy. And we do it too readily to people who are not, who don't want to honor who we are and, and our value and our beauty. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and that makes us vulnerable. So, so, so when we are in a place of safety where someone really is worthy of that gift of self, we're still uncomfortable and we don't know how it can take a while to break down those barriers of that. You know, we've, we've wanted to be like, have this openness and we've always hungered for it, but we don't know how to do it because you also have to have protections up. And meanwhile, what does my ass look like right now? (laughs) (laughs) The performative aspect of sex. (laughs) Oh, it's so fraught. There's so much there, but you, but you also, as you touched on that, so that vulnerability, and you also touched on the, just the, the more public exploration and comfort of saying, Hey, I want to check out who I am. I want to, you know, maybe, maybe my upraising as a good little Christian girl, maybe that's not what my life wants to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, you touched on a lot of big stuff there. <laughs> I tend to do that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, where do you believe you had talked before that you've recognized that there's just a lot of healing that people need and that a lot of people are hurting. So where do you believe people need the most healing and what does that look like? Well, it's funny because you have, you've kind of answered that the way I would answer. I mean, it wasn't the question posed even in your own brain, I don't think necessarily, but mm-hmm. talking about um, people being able to have the freedom to sort of analyze and accept who they are, I think is the biggest thing, you know, mm-hmm. having permission to just one, think about it <laughs> right, and then two, step into it and live, live it. I mean, we're all this, if, if, um, and I don't know how many of your listeners are Christian or have a, have an, you know, of a, a faith as part of their formation or part of their lives. But, it, you know, if we're all the sort of a reflection of the divine mm-hmm. and the, the, it's, it's not the other way around, although we often make it that, you know, that, that God is this reflection of us and all of our worst bits really. But if we're a reflection of the divine, then how majestic and wide ranging and expansive and uh, amazing must that be, you Mm. know, I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and, and varied and wonderful. So, you know, that's been a big message of Declan's is, is be you. Um, 
embrace, you know, that the world is made better by you being fully yourself. Yeah. You know, not the nasty bits, obviously we want to, we want to try to be giving and caring and, you know, all, all the positive attributes, but, but to be unique and not to have to fit into a box. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that I think to us is our essential hope for the world is that people are more able to recognize their own beauty. Yeah. When I talk with kids in schools and stuff like that, and uh, they always have the, uh, we have the anonymous question and comment box. And so many kids talk about, you know, when will I be liked or how can I just be me and different things like that. And I go, I tell them, I'm like, you know what I know what I learned when I was younger, <laughs> Like I recognized very quickly after observing for a little bit when I was in high school, that that person over there was trying to be that person over there. And then Mm. they were trying to be that person. And then they were trying to be that person, you know? And I was like, and I recognized that everyone was trying to modify who they were to be a different person in order to feel accepted. I go, but then what is happening is then nobody is being themselves. And I was like, because they're trying to take on other personalities that not are not necessarily theirs. And therefore, there's no sense of true, you know, identity or uniqueness or authenticity, and which just leaves people actually feeling miserable. And I was like, so, and how dreadfully boring, <laughs> you know, I was like, that is so boring. I'm like, so when we start living into who we are and what we are, maybe some, there's some people who won't understand, you know, I'm like, that's humanity. I'm like, but you have the longest relationship you're ever going to have is the one you have with yourself. I was like, so learn how to cultivate that relationship now. I'm like, I wish I would have done that. I'm like, I'm still learning how to do that. That right? That is is so powerful and so great. We just, we were doing some school shopping with our grandkids yesterday. And um, uh, one of them who's 12 now was, was talking about, we asked a question about would, if you chose those shoes, what would people think? Do they, would they be, um, make fun of you because they were too, for, for someone too young. And she said, well, if they did, I just wouldn't hang out with them. I'm going to (laughs) be. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be me, whatever I, you know. I'm like that is so great. This is such a good message for kids, and it's so rare that kids mm-hmm. are willing to be able to just do that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel I like so there's a, there's much more. I want to say there's much more openness right now from mm-hmm. what I have. I mean, there's still you know some of that stuff that goes on, but compared to what I grew up with like in the nineties and high school and things like that. I feel like there's more openness and not as much emphasis on brand names and different things of clothing, you know, like when I was growing up, it's like you had to have Calvin Klein jeans and like guest jeans and all this stuff. And I don't see that as much with the kids, at least in that in that department. Yeah. Which I'm grateful. And about other things, you know, sexuality, gender, you know, all kinds of things um are shifting. Uh, disability too, acceptance of disability, you know, yeah. thank goodness. Mm-hmm. For sure. So how do you think a church can embrace the expansiveness of God and sex? So the title of the word of the sex with God book, my um, husband came up with, and it was so perfect because one of the concepts in it, the, the central concept in it is that when we are engaging in physical intimacy, there, there's the presence of divine 
three things should be honored. The, the presence of divine within ourselves, the mm-hmm. presence of the divine in our the person we're with, and the presence of the divine that's everywhere at all times, including with us when we're in bed, when we're in the bathroom, when we're grocery shopping, you know, the God is always with us. So when sex is happening, we're having sex with God, whether we realize it or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so that central concept, um, I think if people are able to think about it is, um, is important. And, and we initially, when we first launched the book, it got a lot of negative pushback. We got, we got some, you know, like a one star review right away when someone couldn't even have purchased the book just by the title because they sure. found it so offensive because sure. they think that sex and God should never be in the same sentence that sex right. is somehow, you know, God wants nothing to do with it. You know, so just exploring the idea that, that God obviously loves sex. If God created everything, God loves sex because sex is happening at every level. <laughs> Right. <laughs> within right. plants and animals. Um, within a Christian context specifically, I think it could be useful for people to try to read the sexual scenes within the Bible in uh, separating what may have been traditionally taught about those passages and thinking mm-hmm. about them a little bit more um, just from the aspect of the sexuality. Um, reading the Song of Songs and recognizing how yeah. it's erotic erotic love poetry yeah there's there's a lot of sex in the bible and a lot of uh some of those marital fidelity passages in the prophet that the prophets talk about are are erotic erotic and unitive and not just punitive and you know turning to the mystics there's some of the uh, saint bernard of clairvaux uh, um Teresa of avila St. John of the Cross, some of these ancient thinkers and writers, they tuned into that hunger um, and experienced the presence of God in ways they describe in sexual terminology, even though it wasn't overt. They didn't say it was a penis thrusting into me. They said it was a sword of fires, you know, steering me deep into my core. You know, I mean, it was symbolic and yet there's a lot of um, marital union metaphor and sexual metaphor mm-hmm. uh, that takes place in those that that sort of can help people get thinking about it in their own way you know I think yeah. that the spirit always wants to if we give ourselves a room and mental space which is extremely hard to do in our era mm-hmm. um, to contemplate some of these things then then this this power of love wants to swoop in and talk to us you know mm-hmm. <laughs> wants to um wants us to feel them and experience that love in a, in a physical kind of emotional way. Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, with that one star review or whatnot, do you think that some, some individuals might just be so triggered by that language because for them, you know, God became such an authority figure based on power that, you know, a lot of their sex life then has not been pleasurable and has been built around pain and deep down unconsciously that God might be the reason for that? Mm, That's a very good question. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'll bet that there's a lot of variation. There's, um, you know, I haven't studied Calvinism, but I know that it gets blamed for a lot of the purity culture Mm -hmm. uh, problem, 
the problematic parts of purity culture. And, you know, I wanted to, I thought back when I was going to that patriarchal evangelical church, Mm -hmm. um, and I was seeing the dysfunction that sex creates in society in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and I said, I think we should be talking about sex. I think we should, in this church, I think we should be talking about sex. And, um, you know, one of the the deacons was like, no, 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 no. We can't talk about that. You know, this is like, it's just so uncomfortable. Right, I know. <laughs> um, and it's the, I think part of it is that it's sex is dirty thing and, and God is pure. Um, I think, you know, I hadn't thought about the whole power dynamics thing, but that is a really interesting, um, smart question. And, you know, so many of us have been at the, at the, the, uh, I don't, I don't like the word victim necessarily, but the, the victim position in those power roles that it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 You know, within my work, I'm trying to also figure out how we can start having more of these conversations in church spaces because I mean, we're sexual creatures. That's how we were created. And to continuously ignore or talk with it only in the essence of blame and shame. We are never going to have a full understanding or rich relationship with a creator who created us that way. If we are denying a part of us that God created and are constantly being told it's bad, we are, you know, disassociating from ourselves. (laughs) We're disconnecting. Um, And so how will we ever have that fullness of a relationship of love and devotion towards ourselves and then towards our creator, you know? And so I feel like we have been paralyzed or I don't, that's an ableist comment. I feel like we have been rendered just not able to explore uh, all that God has to offer because of the way that throughout centuries we have discussed sex, you know, or not discussed it. So I just feel like as I started studying sex and God, I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) they're so into, they're so intimately, they intersect on so many levels. And I just wish that we could create these spaces for people to know that you're cared for, to, for the church to also apologize for some of the ways that it has treated people and just come to this place where we can all learn from one another and like open dialogue. And I just feel that it would transform our, our world. So you, you sparked something as far as the idea that it can help expand people's understanding and relationship with God is really um, a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I, I kind of want to sit and think about that for a few minutes after, after we're done talking, because um, I think that there's something really important there mm-hmm. um, because I do, I, I, am envisioning this, this Bible God, this, this God, that's, that's the size of the book on your bedside table um, and the flatness of that and the um, uh, judgment of that, all, you know, all those negative things and uh yeah so to to enter into that um mm-hmm. not only can be transformative of of us and our freedom but also of our our understanding of god is really a, an amazing thing yeah yeah so i cannot believe that we're almost out of time <laughs> this went so fast 
Um, but one of the things I ask each of my guests are, is what story are you reframing in your life today? Yeah, there's so many things. Um, I think that the biggest thing is the, the, the reality that the balancing of the needs of others while living out my one, Mary Oliver's, you know, says you have one precious life. Um, you know, I'm, I'm (laughs) approaching, yeah, I'm approaching 60 and pandemic and the, the political climate and a number of other things have really made me look at my lifelong view, um, from coming from dysfunctional families and, um, co-dependent situations and all that guilt has been a primary driver and it's something that I have to Mm. uh, push back on regularly and try to find a balance in. And I've always, and part of it, my, my sort of Catholic self Catholic self trained Catholic formation was this, this pouring out for others was, and being a martyr was like the ultimate thing God wants from you and reevaluating that Mm. and trying to figure out, um, you know, that, the divine wants us to be happy. The divine wants us to live into our giftings and to be fully ourselves and to, and that God's desire isn't necessarily that we are just always self self donating, but sometimes we're just, we need to seek to get what we want. And that's hard for me to even say out loud because it sounds It sounds selfish in my ears and it shouldn't. So I guess that's the thing I'm actively trying to reframe. And it's, it's hard. Oh gosh, (laughs) it's totally, I hear you. (laughs) It is very hard. And I think too, like as a wife and a mom and things like this, like I'm constantly, you know, putting, putting everyone else before me and trying to learn how to embrace. I'm trying to do different morning habits for myself too, of being able to drink my coffee without heating it up six times, <laughs> reading a book in the morning, just to start the day like that and just tend to some of my soul. Cause it's hard, right? It's very hard. Well, especially, you know, I think that there are phases in our life where it's more required of us, you know, when you're, when your kids are in the house and your, your job, it's, it's such an important task to, to form these kids, to be good humans, um, Mm -hmm. and to survive these days, just to survive as a thing. Um, and then, so there's times when you, you, you have to have that as a part and still care for yourself. And then after that part is done, which is where I am, you know, where Mm -hmm. my husband and I are, we have to refigure that out because do we continue doing that? For the next generation, you know, for our kids and the next generation of kids, um, how does that look? And, yeah. you know, can it be done? Does it need to be done up close? Can it be done from a distance? Can it be, you know, how much of, uh, it's a whole different juggling act. Um, yeah. So part of it is, I think seasons of life can impact it too. Yeah, for sure. So how um, can people find your books and your blog and different things like that? Yeah. So the thing to look for, I think the easiest is where to love is dot there's dot com. So that's the website and where to love is on Facebook is a very vibrant community um, of resources of affirmation and love. Uh, We have a spirituality and um, sex and spirituality discussion page on Facebook. Um, SDWitHall.com is, is my website. 
Oh, I have a novel coming out in October called um, Language of Bodies, which is the a journey of uh, vengeance a woman goes on after her transgender uh, wife, who's a, a woman of color, is murdered, um, which is, you know, something that is oh, wow. a thing that's happening a lot in our world. Yeah. Um, that's launching in early October. I'm extremely excited about that. Uh, I think that that's most of the places we're in all the social platforms, not much on TikTok because man, young people are good at that. <laughs> I'm not good at TikTok. <laughs> no, I'm not good at that. Well, it's been a joy to talk to you and I appreciate you making the time. And you, thank you for your work. It's so important. Thank you. <laughs>